Welcome back to The Leaders We Need. I'm your host, Joel Harder. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Lyndall Fields, a leadership teacher and certified executive coach. As the CEO at Tri-County Tech, he led the organization to become one of the top performing in the nation. As a result of his leadership, Tri-County earned the presidential Malcolm Baldridge Award in 2018 and was named to Fortune's Great Places to Work list five times, reaching number 11 in 2020. After three decades as an educational thought leader, Fields co-founded Ascend Leadership. Ascend provides world-class executive training for high-capacity leaders, and he is known as a prominent leader in workplace culture and performance excellence. In our conversation, Lyndall shared just a lot of his experience in career tech, some of the great accomplishments that he's most proud of, and the ways in which career tech can really be a part of the pipeline that helps students navigate the full post-secondary opportunities available to them. Really, a lot of what we're going to need to see in a post-COVID world to continue to develop a highly qualified, skilled, competent, and excellent workforce in our country moving forward. He also talks about a lot of what they do with Ascend, really working with high-capacity leaders, helping them to develop their leadership skills and abilities for the diversity of industries, companies, fields that they're coming from. Well, let's get into my conversation with Lyndall Fields on the leaders we need. Capital culture has enabled a different and a new atmosphere in state politics. This is The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast going beyond the politics and policies to focus on the people who lead in our communities, states, and nation. Conversations that restore the civility we need in our politics while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a resource from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Lyndall, I am so thankful that you had some time today to join me on The Leaders We Need and talk a little bit about your leadership and your experience and all the things that you're doing. Welcome to The Leaders We Need. Thanks, Joel. Just delighted to be with you. I love your podcast and honored to be a a small part of it. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. I always love to start these conversations by asking really the same question, which is for you to kind of go back into your background. And of course, this is how you can kind of share a little bit of who you are with those who may not know you, but to go back into your background, look back on your life and reflect on maybe those people or those experiences that at the time you didn't necessarily see how they were really influencing you or your leadership, but upon reflection made a big impact into how you Uh, operate and work and serve as a leader? Well, as I think back on my career and uh, my life, there's been uh, lots of people that have been influential, Um, but I have to go way back, Joel. I got an early start uh, in my career, began teaching uh, inmates when I was 20 years old, just Mm. barely out of high school. Yeah. And so you don't know what you don't know, but I began teaching school like I was taught back in the day. So there were people around me. One person in particular comes to mind, a lady by the name of Evelyn Campbell, one of the first uh, female administrators in the state of Oklahoma. So she was able to guide me in such a way that was motherly, but in the same way, um, my boss. So, so many times would often maybe suggest different ways about doing things. Again, um, 
being being so so youthful. So she helped, you know, develop the professional in me. So I, I Evelyn Campbell, um, God rest her soul's uh, passed on now, but had a had yeah. a big influence in in my life. So, but there's there's so many others, and it's it's um, hard to think about who specifically to to talk about. But in a, working in the uh, the prison, which I did for seven years as a teacher and then a principal at, at 23 years old, a, a guy by the name of Dom Garrison came into my life. Mm-hmm. Also um, passed away, but the kind of guy that. Um, showed up in uh, my workplace one time, asked me to come out into the parking lot and said, uh, if you go down this path, I may not be able to get you out of that, that jam, Lindell. Yeah. You know, some of those decisions we make in our 20s, uh, we, think, we think what we're doing, but having somebody in your life to, to tell you maybe not go down that way. And so those, are, those were the, in the early days. I suppose I could jump forward a little bit. Would that be helpful? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. You know, seven years in the prison system, teaching and um, being a principal, I decided to move into the career tech system. Um, mm-hmm. Let me back up the, the prison system, uh, education system in Oklahoma, the career tech system is part of Oklahoma's career tech system, but I wanted to get into one of the area tech schools. And um, I've been at Tri-County for the last 22 years, but my my predecessor is a lady by the name of Anita Reisner, and she spent, I don't know, 40 years in career tech and was just a, just a wonderful soul. So um, she was that kind of leader that would um, be real with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll tell a little bit too much here information. I grew up in Skytook, and it wasn't until I was almost 30 years old that Anita had the courage to tell me the difference between seesaw and scene, oh, <laughs> by the way. Yeah, yeah just, just my, um, I was, uh, I think, a pretty good leader, but when you use a seen in the wrong context i seen you over the weekend joel that yeah. uh, changes a lot so maybe sharing a little too much here but i tell you what her doing that helped me do the same thing for another leader later later in life that have the responsibility to do that so as we talk about these people it wasn't that profound leadership that you think about it was the little things to help yeah. us become the best version of of ourselves if that if that makes sense joel yeah Oh, and, that, and that's so often the case. I, I love the way you put that. It's the little things. And mm-hmm. and so many times we don't even realize the impact we're having on others. And a little bit of attention, intentionality, and recognizing the, the little moments and little opportunities, the unexpected. I, often when I'm talking to leaders at the Capitol, I'll say, you know, you've got a lot on your agenda. You've got items on your calendar, things you've got planned to do. But there's, there are things that are going to happen today that are, are not on your calendar. Things, interactions in the hall or on the way home that you didn't plan. And who knows that that may not be the most significant thing that you have to do today is somebody you're going to talk to in those unplanned moments. You're, you're so right. Um, those, those words, we don't think about it. But as I think about my career and the, the notes that I've received come from the most... Um, unusual places, just a word I said or something I did that I didn't realize wasn't intending to have an effect, but it, it hit that person at the right time. And in my leadership teachings, Joel, and I know we're going to talk about a send here in a little bit. Mm-hmm. I'm big I'm big on sending thank you notes. So kind of reversing that a little bit, just sending one note a week to somebody's 52 notes in a year. And you're going to mm-hmm. intersect somebody's life when they need it the most. And it's not when 
about what you think it is. Hey, congratulations on the new role, the new career, the new podcast. Uh, You're doing great things. It's something in their life. They just needed that encouragement. So as leaders, being encouraging, I think, is so, so important. And those words matter, my friend. Yeah. And you're right. We want to talk about the broad breadth of your experience Mm -hmm. in different leadership roles. And you've had a number of different opportunities and positions and spheres of influence over the last many years. I would love to know, is there a particular role or a particular position or a, a responsibility that was put in front of you that it was yours to lead that just really resonated? It, it's like all of uh, you're firing on all cylinders, whether it's skills and giftings and, and training and experience and opportunity, and it just really hit. And that was really, you were really operating at your highest. Oh, sure. That probably happened um, about 2018. So I have I have had a few roles, but I've been at Tri-County for 22 years and been yeah. the superintendent for the last 11 years. But I have seen a lot happen, not only at this organization, but in, for education in Oklahoma and some of the things that were around in the late 90s, I'm starting to see again, things like competency-based education and charter schools aren't new, by the way, virtual yeah. education's not new it's just a different time, but Tri-County, you know, there's that old saying, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is now. Right. So we began our performance excellence journey um, that many years ago, uh, realizing that if we were going to help students, massive amounts of students, not just ones and twos, we had to put some things in place to really, really make a difference. And it all culminated in 2018 and it had to do with... Um, are winning the, the Malcolm Baldrige Award. Without a doubt, the, the biggest event to happen to Tri-County Tech and maybe even to education in Oklahoma in the last couple of couple of decades. So what that says is we have a great place to work with world-class results. And so something interesting I'll share with you and your audience here, that happened in uh, 2018, we got the call and uh, I'm able to talk to organizations across the country about our journey and how that went. Mm-hmm. Um, an organization that received the highest presidential award for performance excellence. You would think everything's together, you know, you have everything perfectly together. But in all the years that I've been here, I can say there was just one moment, and it was about three months before that, that Baldridge Award, where everybody in the organization, 100%, mm-hmm. was in the right place at the right time. You know, you always have that one stinker, that two stinker. Yeah, yeah. So it lasted about three months. So Sometimes we think it's going to be perfect all the time, and it's simply just not. Um, yeah. Some people just have different agendas or different attitudes, but it all came together at that point, Joel. So as I think back, there's a, what makes something like that happen. We all go through this at a certain point in our life, and it's different times for everybody, but you reach a point when you're more concerned about getting trophies on the people that you lead mm-hmm. on their world than your own wall, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. And when That's you begin great. to do that, the world can open up. And and that happened for me in my mid-30s. So it, yeah. it takes a while sometimes but when you get to that point. Wow, good things can happen. Let's talk a little bit about that because there's some leadership lessons, I'm sure, and management lessons as well. How do you move people into the right roles because because you're right I, I had a one of my bosses and mentors would use the analogy of you need everybody in the boat rowing in rhythm and rowing together and and sometimes you got somebody that's 
rowing the opposite direction. Not not even they're just out of sync. How do you approach working with your team, working with your people and getting them into those different spots so that you've got that three month window where everybody's just right where they need to be doing the right thing. Right. That, that rowing in the right direction. So, Oh, every organization in the country right now is talking about getting the right people on the bus and the right people in the yeah. right. Seat. I think if I hear that one more time, but the, the, the I, real, I went yeah. with an aquatic, an aquatic I, metaphor, not, not the bus. I appreciated <laughs> that. I should have just, just rolled with it there. Uh, but none of those things matter if you don't know where the bus is going. Right. So as the leader, you have to establish the vision for the organization. And when you have that vision, that clear vision, then you can create a culture capable of reaching that vision. So we've all heard uh, culture eats vision for lunch. So I think we would all agree with that. But until you know where the bus is going, what the vision is, then you can't create that culture. Right. Everybody wants to be a part of something bigger than any one of us can accomplish alone. We all do. Yeah. And so when you figure out what where you're going, then you can put the right people in the right places. And so how do you get to that point? Well, first of all, you have to understand, I believe, what motivates people. And by and large, I don't think people have a real idea of what truly motivates people. And so if I could maybe elaborate just a little yeah, bit. that'd be great. This idea about if you want to be um, happy for a day, eat a steak, happy mm -hmm. for a week, uh, go on vacation, happy for a month, buy a car, or happy for a year, win the lottery. Right. And you hear about people that win the lottery and they're not happy, they go broke, or the new smell of the car wears off. The reason is, is because we have short memories. Well, the same is true in the workplace. So let me let me put it this way. If you want an employee to be happy for a day, uh, give them the afternoon off. If you want them to be happy for a week, you know, let them go on vacation. Happy mm -hmm. for a month, give them a raise. And this is where it gets powerful. Happy for a month, give them a raise. Happy for a year, give them a promotion. And inevitably, leaders look at me like, that's all you get? It is. It's all you get. People have short memories, so mm. giving people raises, and I see this a lot with young young leaders. They get get a new uh, group of folks that they're managing or leading, and they want to give them more money. Now, let, let me just say, you have to pay your people good and give them good benefits. Right. That, especially the way the workforce is now. Everybody's um, trying to get the best talent, and it's in short supply. So you got to pay your people good and give them good benefits. But outside of that, raises and promotions don't motivate people. So here's what does motivate people. People want proximity to the leader. Mm. So giving people access to the leader, whether it be through lunches or meetings and be available. And there's no better time than the last year, as bad as it's been. Uh, you can be available like this all of the time. There's a way to do that. And, and we don't have enough time to go into all the details, but giving people access to the leader, number one. Uh, number two, People want to be valued. They need to know that the work that they're doing has real value at the end of the day. So if all things are equal, organizations pay good and they give good benefits, an organization with a vision who gives uh, people access, values them, and then most importantly, what we all want in our lives, all of us, is to know that our work matters. So outside of the words, I love you, the most precious thing you can say is I'm proud of you. Mm. We all want that. Think about that. Whether it's from our parents or our 
our spouse or even our, our uh, kids, we all want that in life. And when people are um, acknowledged and told that someone's proud of them, you get a lot more time. So if you give somebody access, you get a week, know that you value them. You get months, sometimes a year. And if you let them know you're proud of them, depending on how you do that, you can have the kind of loyalty that lasts years, sometimes decades. It means so much more than money. Have you ever thought about it that way, Joel? Well, no, I have not. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's so so obviously true. It's self-evident. It's at the heart of how we operate and what motivates us. And I think you're spot on, too. It comes to the workplace and what especially the rising generation of the labor market are valuing and looking for. I saw, I think it was Wall Street Journal article, man, it's been a few years ago now, talking about this concept of developing organizational culture and the expectation gap that's there in younger workers, employees, and teams. And and they said pay and benefits matter. They're important. But the indicator that really made a difference in retaining talent and a sense of, of loyalty and commitment, they really wanted to know that they were part of an organization that they believed in. And access to leaders, whether it's mentoring or leadership development, you know, all that's part of it. But it was just spot on because it even pulled out that pay and benefits, that's in there, but not nearly as significant as we might have thought compared to that culture and that transcending impact that we're making as a company or as an organization. Exactly right. And once leaders figure that, once organizations figure that out, then you can you can really start to move the needle in a way you never really thought you could. Yeah. You already started to share a little bit. I'd, I'd love to explore career tech, uh, you know, as an educator, as a, as a leader, as somebody who's helping people grow in skills and as human beings to be able to contribute and work and thrive. Career tech is a, a very specific, unique place in which education happens. And what was it that kind of motivated you to, to go into career tech itself and then kind of lead you to, to Tri-County? You're right, career tech is kind of a, a unique education model, and it's even more unique in Oklahoma, and, and uh, maybe we can talk about that in just a minute. So what led me to career tech is um, I was a career tech student in high school, and it uh, wasn't initially by choice. My dad said, you're going to go to career tech, and you're going to get a skill, something that no one can ever take away from you. And Joel, in those days, it was about college or career tech. I was a decent wrestler and college was in my future. As it turns out, college didn't work out for me. Um, initially, I didn't have the uh, financial resources or support systems in place uh, for the traditional uh, college model. In fact, most most kids don't. Very few kids go to school and even fewer complete the traditional model. So my dad actually made me go, made me go. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad he did. So um, as a result of not having that success early on in college, then I was able to uh, parlay those skills I had and earn a living, right? Um, So I did that, and those same skills got me into Oklahoma's career tech system to teach what I had learned in high school uh, with an alternative teaching certificate again when I was 20 years old. So it was uh, really by chance that that happened, but six months into it, I knew career tech was for me, and it was a special, special um, system in Oklahoma that not only provided a great opportunity for me as a professional, but 
tens of thousands of students each year benefit life-changing learning experiences um, on so many levels that help people be successful. Well, and as I look into the future, uh, there's a shift coming. There, there's some significant changes in post-secondary uh, education. And I think that there is still very much a dominant mindset that you even use the term traditional. I mean, the fact that we would look at college and post-college higher education as the traditional route. But there are some significant changes. I think there's going to be lasting impacts from the experience of 2020 and the massive shift to online platforms and, and distance learning, things that were all already there, but were embraced in different ways. As you look at the future of post-secondary education, who are the people, who and why uh, should they consider career tech? Sure, that's a great question. Well, it's not who you think. Mm. So um, it's everybody. Mm-hmm. The model of education in Oklahoma and um, beyond everywhere, it's a pretty archaic approach. Uh, K through 12 education, we advance people based upon their age primarily, and the goal is to get everybody through high school. Well, this may come across the wrong way, but I want you to really think about it. A high school diploma in and of itself doesn't have a lot of value Mm -hmm. unless you don't have one. So what, what does a high school diploma do for you? Well, it's kind of the base. It's the entry point. And so it was also the high school model to graduate at 17 or 18 was based upon a life expectancy of 60 or 65. And now it's, you know, 80 or 85. So what's the big hurry? So this idea, um, uh, people tell me even today, and I've been on this one man kind of mission to debunk the thought process about college or career tech. Every week, somebody will say, well, not everybody's meant to go to college. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. Maybe not everybody wants to go to college. My argument is that there's more than one way to go to college. Again, the the idea that you graduate from high school and go to college for four years works out for very few students. Only about 44% of Oklahoma high school graduates actually go on to college after Mm -hmm. high school, directly out of high school. So what happens, Joel, if if I could just stay on this for just a moment, is that um, kids had an idea. They wake up. It's their 10-year high school reunion. They're married, they have a couple of kids, and uh, they're trying to make ends meet. They're going to little leagues and recitals, just trying to get ahead. And they know that their future, their financial success is dependent upon getting a better job. But the only way to get that better job is to get an education, but they can't quit their full-time job to go to school full-time, right? Right, right. And so that's that's the kids that need this post-secondary education. So who needs to go to career tech? Everybody does, but it's not college or career tech. In Oklahoma, we've got to get more in the pipeline. And what I would suggest is that kids that are going career tech then to college, not only are they better prepared for college, uh, it becomes more affordable because you can earn some college credits early on. Yeah. And just a slightly different approach to get more kids in the system. So, And you have skills that are with you for a, li- a, a lifetime. So... Uh, to suggest that uh, not everybody wants or can go to college, well, I, I don't buy into that. We need to get more into both. Absolutely. That's that's an excellent perspective, and I hope you're not truly just a, a one-man crusade on that. The shifts that are coming, I believe we're going to see, to get more people thinking in that way uh, is going to open up such a better future for so many of us. Right. 
Well, you just wrapped up 22 years in a key leadership role, top mm-hmm. leadership role at Tri-County Tech. Right. Looking back on those 22 years, are there some significant moments? Uh, you already mentioned one, but some real accomplishments that you are really proud of? Um, we always wanted to have a great place to work. We rolled out Vision 2020, I did, when I became superintendent back in 2009. And it was four big goals. Um, my staff will now tell me that um, they thought I was I was crazy. So hmm. we wanted to um, double our enrollment from seven to 15,000. And in 2018, it was 21,000, Joel. So we tripled. We wanted to come, become uh, one of Fortune's top places to work in the United States. And we've done that five times now, reaching number 11 last fall, we wanted to get our foundation to a point that no student would be denied an education based upon their inability to pay. And fast forward a little bit, Vision 2025 said that we would have um, 100% of our graduates graduate debt-free. Mm. We've already accomplished that this wow. year. Wow. Not a single student has debt at Tri-County. And then finally, I mentioned the Mal- uh, Malcolm Baldridge Award. So those were some those were some big things. So um uh, the intent was to establish Tri-County as one of the premier education institutions in the country, and I think I think we've done that. Um, but along the way, the, the real value was the, the tens of thousands of lives that have been positively affected, tens of thousands of people that may not have otherwise had access to our organization. And then, you know, one of the cool things, I you know, I'm proud of it, but we're the only public institution that we're aware of that declined federal funding in 2011, um, just just did away with it, and it wasn't until last year we um, implemented Skills to Rebuild, which was federal money, and so philosophically we made a shift, but for seven years we didn't take any federal money. We took a million-dollar grant, and the reason we did was because there wasn't any strings attached. It was simple. Yeah. It, it was real simple, so this is the kind of the highlight of my culminating my last year in Career Tech was that we will train this many people, and they will go to work for this these salaries, and that was it. And yeah. so that's how it should be. I know we have to have standards and be accountable, and we were, but the red tape uh, for Pell Grants and TANF and Carl Perkins and all the things that are out there, it is just not financially feasible to use those dollars in so many cases. Not for everybody, don't get me wrong, but in so many cases, it's just it just doesn't make financial sense. None of us would use those dollars in our purse. It'd be like getting a... <laughs> I've never said this, Joe. It'd be like uh, taking out um, a, a loan, a 20% loan to buy a car. Yeah. Would we do that? No, but we no. do it all the time in the public sector. So I hope that didn't come across too negative. No, that. no. Well, th- that's excellent and really significant uh, accomplishments and leadership. And I want to kind of transition now to, yeah. to what you're doing currently. And as I look at you and I, as I've observed and, and watched this transition, it's very clear that you're a leader among leaders and you have a real passion to equip and help leaders. And one of my favorite leadership authors is a guy named Robert Clinton. And he talks about the stages of development in a leader's life. And there are key things that happen along the way in those different stages. And I'm not putting you in a box and saying you have to look at leadership that way. Um, But as you transition from from Tri-County, you've launched uh, something called Ascend Leadership. Right. And I would love for you just to, to share a little bit about what Ascend Leadership is. I'd love to really just dig into some of your thoughts on 
how to help leaders and, and develop leaders. And if you think in stages, you know, what, what are some of those key things that you really see that help leaders the most? Well, Ascend is, is really pretty exciting. And um, part of my transition was um, I felt like I've done all I can do at, at our organization and that a transition in leadership would help the organization continue the, the path it was on. So um, I didn't know exactly what I was going to do other than I wanted to help others become leaders. So what makes me an authority? What makes me able to help other leaders become leaders? Well, I don't know. Just the attitude that uh, leaders helping leaders is the first first play to, to start and you have to get over yourself but then have the confidence that you have something mm-hmm. something to offer other people so that that's a delicate balance so um, leaders do go through through stages um, and we've talked about a lot of those stages the stages the immaturity and then you sort of try to figure out what your style is or how you're going to go about leading and then you have some success and then you realize helping others have success that's gratifying, but you want to get to a, a life of significance, and you can get to that life of significance when you pour into other people and see them have success. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the things that people miss is that when you have a transition in your career, um, you really have to start over. If you're a level five leader and you're operating at the top level, you have to really start over at the beginning. Now, here's the here's the key. The experiences you've had in your career can help you accelerate through all those things that we just talked about but it's evaluated experience. It's taking time to look at your life and your daily experiences and how you do things and would do those differently that allow you to propel through, propel through faster. And that word evaluated experience is important because if experience was the most important thing in a professional career, then you and I wouldn't be sitting here today. It'd be, it'd be two people in their 60s and 70s who have all the experience running organizations. It's about evaluated experiences. So, Ascend really was just about helping leaders become the best version of themselves. You see, real leaders understand that investing in themselves is the most important thing that they can do, and people are starving for leadership. So Ascend was to help, uh, we call it high-capacity leaders, but leaders who lead, lead people. And so we launched Ascend a couple of months ago, and um, it's a it's it's on the ground classes. Uh, we meet one time a month for four months, and then we have a weekly call to unpack what we learned on the daily se- uh, the, the live session and then getting the people together. There's so much value. So you have 30 high-capacity leaders in a room. It's a mastermind model. Mm-hmm. I, I'm quite certain that what I'm teaching is not profound. It's just reminders that we have to continually sharpen our saw. So I've partnered with Sean Copeland. He's the chairman of Regent Bank and also a former uh, Secretary of Commerce mm-hmm. until about six months ago. A guy by the name Brad Lominick, who's a, an author and leadership guru. And finally, Jeremy Kubacek, who is the founder of Giant Worldwide Leadership. So we're pouring into people. So the value is they're getting some want, they're getting some leadership, but bringing all of those people together with so much value value in that so that's how leaders get yeah. better and you, you've kind of sort of lay out tactically how how ascend works and mm-hmm. but when you look at the process how long is it how does it function as far as somebody wants to learn more about ascend potentially yeah. join and then high level how does ascend work yeah it's a great question so we call them cohorts so mm-hmm. it's about a, a three-month cohort 13 weeks for in the okay. ground setting 
we take applications, so there's a really high demand. And the reason for the applications is um, we want to ensure that we have a diverse group of people, mm-hmm. um, do our best to make sure there's no like um, head-to-head competitors, right? Because conversations get into um, you know some some business uh, behind-the-scenes magic that maybe others wouldn't want people to know. But that's not a huge deal, and we really just want people that are going to be serious about their own leadership development. Uh, I don't use the word busy. I haven't in many, many years. We want to make sure that people can truly, truly commit uh, right. to the to the process. We're only in our in our first cohort, and we've yeah. had two live sessions, so we're we're learning and trying to trying to get better. We hold them at high um, high end facilities, Southern Hills, Five Oaks Lodge. We want it to be a comfortable place that's um, has good technology, good food, and uh, allow us to really have a venue that we can pour in pour into each other. So yeah, look us up if uh, people are interested. Ascend Executive Leadership, and that's our model as of today, Joel. Excellent. I want to go back to this idea of evaluated experience. Sure. Because I think that's, how would you help me like to actually do evaluated experience? That's a great question. We all have systems for planning our days and mm-hmm. our weeks and our months. And without going into that too much, I have systems I use that I help people with. But at the end of the day, it's about reflection. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, I take time every day to reflect, not about prayer or anything like that, just time alone. Mm-hmm. There's so much value in time alone, but people, again, Joel, are, they think they're so busy, right? Busy is about priorities. If, if somebody says to me, uh, if you tell me I'm, I'm too busy to, to take a send or I'm too busy, well, we do have these moments in life, but they're always like that. We're right. always going to have these moments. So when we make a conscious choice to not live our lives that way, things will fall into place. But regardless, taking time every day, for me, it's 30 minutes to an hour every day, uninterrupted by myself. Hmm. Um, I say uninterrupted. It's just taking time to think about the day. And so if, if you don't reflect, you wake up the next day and you go on about the same things you did, right? And when we do that, we, we repeat um, the same kind of behaviors, and we respond to the situations the same way. And that's oftentimes why we can't move as a leader or move our organizations in a certain way is because we keep making the same decisions the same way. But if we'll take some time to think about tonight, for example, uh, 30 minutes for you, a young family, might be darn near impossible. Mm-hmm. But if you just find 10 minutes and think about what we talked about today, just 10 minutes, something's going to come to you. And then it's going to start a behavior, and then it's going to become a habit. Could, and then habits become life-changing over time. So the best way to think about evaluated experience is taking time to reflect. And it's hard for a lot of people. These people in a sin, I'm like, I need everybody to reflect every day. And these these high-functioning leaders that go, 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 thinking about five minutes alone is impossible. So we're doing different things. So one technique is one one CEO, he, he's, he said, okay, I'm going to go to lunch one time a month by myself. I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, that's a good start. Yeah. But I, I'd like to see a little bit more just every day. And then you begin to evaluate experience and start to look inward. That's excellent. What's coming to my mind, like how would I implement this, mm-hmm. this rhythm, this pattern, this discipline? Uh, and I reflect on the leaders that I admire, respect, or would seek to emulate the common characteristic I see is they're active journalers in the process of journaling. Mm -hmm. 
And so my thought was always, well, okay, well, that's, I, I need to do that. If that's, if that's what successful, effective leaders that I want to be like do, then I should do that. And I just really, really struggled to do that. It's not, it's been a very difficult process for me to actually become helpful and do that. But then I came across this piece of advice, which was to follow like a military journaling model where you don't just start with, well, I feel like this or this happened and I'm considering it, it, you don't know where to begin. They said you start by simply just ticking down on a piece of paper. What did you do that day? Who did you meet? What was a one sentence description of what you talked about? And right. and just starting with that naturally, then the opportunity for reflection could really emerge. I wish I could say I was truly disciplined. I'm not. So I'm still working on that on that discipline. But Right. That was something that that is occurring to me. How would I apply this idea of evaluated leadership and, and tactically try to do that? That's wonderful. Adding journaling, that that's just the reflection on steroids because the act in and of itself is causing you to reflect. Yeah. But you're talking to the wrong guy because I haven't been able to make it a habit myself. Yeah. Now, the, the students in the Leadership Academy or the Institute, um, I have them and one of our exercises, we began to journal when, and this is a lesson too, but journal when something's handed off to them, when a monkey's put on their back. And that gets people to thinking, and my hope is not only are they becoming um, conscious of what uh, people are handing off to them, but it begins to get that journaling. But what you just said is is fantastic. I mean, just thinking very uniquely or acutely about and this happens to all of us, especially those who clearly are either leaders now or or have leadership potential. You're going to naturally show that you can take on more responsibility. So people are going to give you stuff. And right. that's not always a, a welcome thing. And so thinking about those things, that's that's excellent. You said, you know, we're hungry for leadership. And I, I could not agree more. Um, right. Leaders play a vital function in our society, how it works, whether it's in a just a community or in a home or obviously at, at the level of a city, state elected leadership or business leadership. Leaders play a key function and we're hungry for leaders. Um, right. But what what have you seen as perhaps maybe misconceptions about leadership that are kind of out there right now as we have this hunger for leaders and or even maybe pitfalls that you see as happening among those who are stepping into leadership? Those are, that's a great question, Joel. So, you know, um, that hunger for leadership, um, you know, how real it is, it, it's real, but I think it might be maybe exaggerated a little bit because of need to have social media so present in our lives. Mm -hmm. So, you know, think about it. I mean, when's the last time you, you saw something on social media about something positive from a leader? It's, mm -hmm. it's usually pretty negative. So we have this idea about what's going on with, you know, presidents and governors and legislators, and that's just a teeny small part of it. So people want to be valued. And so in terms of misconceptions too, um, Leaders are often thought about, and this is pretty basic stuff, you know, the boss, Lyndall's the only leader as the superintendent of the school. Well, nothing can be further from the truth. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, so it's Lyndall and his senior lead. Well, no. So I have this idea about leading from the middle, right? Mm. Um, leadership from the middle means we have a value at our organization called Leadership by All. It's been around for 15 years. 
taking ownership of your life, that's leading. Taking ownership of your job, that's leading. And so when people get on my calls or my leadership lessons and they're asking about, yeah, but I, I don't supervise people or I don't have these work groups. Yeah, but if you start to exhibit leadership capacities, people are going to take notice and they're going to emulate you. And what's the biggest form of flattery is when some, somebody does something you do, right? And pretty soon, leadership opportunities, careful what you wish for, mm-hmm. come in terms of uh, projects or people or other things. So the misconception about leadership, it doesn't just have to be the boss. And then uh, being a boss, uh, as, as we both know, doesn't make you a leader uh, right. by any stretch of the imagination. So I think at the end, leadership comes down to this. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And uh, that's leadership right there. Thank you for listening to The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Oklahoma Capital Culture is a nonprofit organization shaping a culture of civility, integrity, and servant leadership among policymakers through nonpolitical and nonpartisan engagement. Learn more about Oklahoma Capital Culture and how you can help shape the leadership culture at www.capitalculture.com. Original music heard on The Leaders We Need, provided by Scott Allen Matthews at mypodcastmusic.com.